A lot of people on the phone, the weather in the Northeast has been better than the weather in San Diego, which doesn't happen very often. So we all have to celebrate that. Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. I'd like to start, uh, I'd like to get through all 20 pages plus the four exhibits. And I'm going to leave Exhibit D. We've talked about that in the past. The only comment I have on that is that the solution, the longer-term solution to the um, whatever you want to call it, um, debt default or debt ceiling or whatnot, involves trying to reduce healthcare costs. So when we look at healthcare companies, as we have been, we have to be very careful about them having a, uh, you know, having a uh, really doing something beneficial because the overall percentage of our GNP on healthcare has to come down. It's the only solution. On Exhibit C, uh, which is world, for those who don't have the exhibits in front of you or the papers in front of you, I'll try to talk through. World oil supply demand, the only comment about recent news there is the Saudi oil minister, presumably with the mandate from the crown prince, has has said that being short the oil market, in other words, selling oil in, in anticipation coming down, is going to be a losing proposition. I think what the Saudis are worried about is that the snapback in China is maybe good for selling expensive handbags or travel or going to Macau and gambling, but it's not very good for commodities. So I I think they're a bit spooked about that. And what they're saying is that for their own reasons, they will cut their production more. So that surplus capacity number, which comes out of our own EIA, a part of our Department of Energy at 2.8, it's probably at least 3.8 prospectively because of the cuts that Saudi Arabia and the uh, UAE are going to make. And what they're saying is they'll take that higher to protect the price of oil. And I think we should, as investors, take them at their word. On natural gas, which is Exhibit B, which has been a, a, a real down situation, if you look at production demand 2019 to 24. Even in 20, which was just a terrible year for everything because of COVID, the storage change, in other words, the difference between demand and supply only got to 1.2 Bs a day. And and this year, even with some upward adjustment in power, it's going to be 2.4. So I guess is actually, if you look down at the bottom, 518 prices, 23 averages almost, or the remainder of 23 averages almost $3, and 24 is 365 The thing, and we're going to talk about gas stocks in a few minutes, but the thing to worry about is 
if we get to September, October, and there's no left, there's no storage left, that that current month price of gas could be very low. So that's just something to consider if if you're thinking about trying to. Uh, now, why would you be trying to buy gas stocks? It's because of the increase in LNG. LNG is now 14 or so. And by the time we get to 27 or 28, you know, five years from now, another 10 Bs will be built. So that's the case for natural gas. But what you have to do is you have to have a slowdown in supply. Supply in 22 is around 95 Bs a day. And by the time you got to the first quarter of this year, it gotten up to 100. Now, that's a function of gas averaging $6 last year. And it slowed down. People are dropping rates and whatnot. So hopefully that that will behave. Exhibit A, government revenues and expenses. We're all voters. We're going to have a chance to vote on this in 24. If you take all the expenses for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, interest, defense, all other in 2019 was $910 billion out of a total spending of four and a half trillion on the cbo numbers which are bipartisan for the fiscal year we're in which ends this september that's going to 1.4 trillion we don't have the ability to do that that has to be and that's basically what the speaker and the president and their staffs are arguing over the staffs want to keep that number at 1.4 and the House members want to take $200 billion out of that. And I believe that's what the issue is. I think there's a chance maybe they'll get the iron impasse. But what most market participants think is that they will, they will come to a conclusion and or they'll, you know, it, 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 won't, it won't result in government workers having to work with no pay and that kind of thing. I said I'd cover every page. Before uh, covering the rest of the pages, I just want to see if on the macro, Mike or Jason have anything to add or, or correct before we delve into companies. No, I just confirmed that it feels like they're going to get to an agreement. There seems like there's reasonable expectation that they'll get there. And there's a lot of alarm ringing coming from Janet Yellen and others that it needs to get done. So I guess we're hopeful, but... there's certainly a chance it could not come together. Yeah. I want to review the rest of the pages for this reason. We're going to come to a gas page, and the question is, at $3 gas, which I think is a reasonable expectation for this year, hopefully more next year, what is a reasonable ratio of enterprise value, in other words, what the common stock's trading for and what the debt's trading for times free cash flow. When we get to the gas page, it's going to be 10 times. But I thought we'd look at these pages to see how that compares with other businesses that you may own an interest in or may be looking at. The page 20 is a newish kind of businesses, Uber, DoorDash, and Airbnb. Airbnb is 17 times, you know, for what has been a Pretty, pretty. I mean, look at their growth rate. Their growth rate's twenty percent in sales and thirty percent free cash flow. So, I would argue that you're not going to see those kind of growth rates out of gas stocks. So, maybe the extra multiple 
17 times versus 10 times. Uber's a uh, you know a developing company, same as DoorDash. I'm not sure they're as relevant. Uh, United Health on the next page has been an incredible performer, and they chug along. You can see their growth has been 11% revenue at 19% in free cash flow. They trade for 23 times. Looks a little rich. CVS, which is a United Health wannabe, is nine times, but they they don't have the record. And then Regeneron, which is a pretty good long-term pharmaceutical company, new drugs and whatnot, is 19 times. We get to commodity companies on page 18. Freeport Copper Company, 18 times. I mean, copper's in free fall like other commodities. So I don't know what to think about that. Albemarle, which is the world's largest lithium company, uh, 22 times. CF, which is ammonia, and ammonia was strong, and now it's going down four times. But, I mean, I think that's an expectation that that commodity is headed south. Get to 17, Costco, which is one of the great retailers in the world, uh, 40 times, pretty pretty expensive. Nike, uh, you know, dominant in uh, all kinds of athletic gear, shoes, 40 times. UPS, which, you know, with all the boxes we get, it, it doesn't work without UPS and FedEx. They're both 16 times. They're not growing too much. I mean, that's an argument for 10 times for a gas stock would be okay. Uh, page 16, Chipotle, one of the great growth stories out there, still growing, maybe getting mature 25 times for about a 10% grower. Starbucks, again, one of the great growth companies of the past uh, couple of decades, 44 times seems expensive. We get to page 15, where we spent a lot of time last week on uh, Moderna and BioNTech. Those things are basically, uh, you know, with COVID vaccines coming down, those multiples aren't terribly meaningful. Lanthius, which is a healthcare company that Mike and Jason have found 25 times, I'm just going to pause here because Mike and Jason are going to tell you that for committing new money, they think 25 times is high. Jason, over to you for just your your assessment of Lanthius. Yeah, it's high, but they they should be able to grow free cash cash flow pretty significantly going forward. Their diagnostic tool is already in market. They're now proceeding to expand it. They're manufacturing it at capacity and just growing that that base manufacturing right now right. and then then alone you know past that they're they're gonna expand the uses to therapies and treatment beyond diagnostics so they've made they've made the big investment on all the clinical trials to get it to this point and now they're going to start generating cash from it i think what mike and jason are saying they're in it we'll let mike comment they're in it but it's not high enough so that they're going to lighten up is that a fair assessment mike that's right. I think the the market's come around to the fact that, oh, this acquisition they did is was a good one, and it's likely going to, well, it already is pretty much standard of care. The optionality, and that's something that we really like to find in our investments, is something that the market doesn't mm-hmm. totally price in. The optionality is going from diagnostic to treatment, and we think that that has additional upside realization. So what we'll be looking for is one of two things to happen. One, for the company to continue to be valued about where it is in the coming years, 
and basically the, the market not fully realized the value of this future treatment. Or the market gets really excited about the company, it drives the share price up too high, as we, we might think, in which case we might think about letting it go. And, and essentially, we want to stick around long enough to find out. So we already have pretty good information about what we think it will be, be like. And so far, the data is coming through very, very well. But there's always a probability that the stuff won't work out. But our, our hope is that we're able to buy a company for a fair price that has this sort of upside scenario that's not fully priced in. So it all depends on when that gets realized by the market. Yeah. So, I mean, my assessment of that is compared to buying a company, a gas company at 10 times free cash flow is it probably fits in with Lantheus at 25 times free cash flow because of the option value. And Lantheus is growing it, you know, as, 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 as Jason said, 20% a year in free cash flow. You turn it over to 14 and you have two of the really great manufacturing businesses in the United States, the Caterpillar, well, they operate on a worldwide basis, Caterpillar and Deer, both of them trade, you know, generally in the 15 to 20 times free cash flow, which I think I'm a Caterpillar owner. I think it's a very full price, right? I'd be a, a little bit like Lactius. I don't think I'd buy at that level, I, but I, I don't think it's such a full price I'd sell. Page 13 is interesting because these are the three leading, or at least in New York, investment banks, commercial banks, whatever you want to call them. And they're all trading in that range of 10 or 11 times free cash flow. So, I mean, I guess that would be supportive of the gas stocks. When we get to page 12, we've got three gas stocks. Now, I have to say that I am partial to Antero because we helped start the company. We still own a, a pretty good chunk for us, not a very big percentage of the company. EQT I, I can't find any flaw with EQT versus Antero. It's larger, as you can see. Chesapeake, the only comment I'd have on Chesapeake is that they they bankrupted the company. They had too much debt. And in effect, the company is owned by the lenders. And I just think when you do that, if you were trying to pick a gas stock between Antero and EQT and Chesapeake, I mean, Chesapeake is well-positioned. But, I mean, personally, someone whose board has zeroed out the stockholders, you know, I, I just avoid them because you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to do that. At a $3 gas price, they're, both tra- they're all three of them trading around nine times free cash flow. A good question is, can they have growth like Lantheus? And the answer is not from unit production. What they can do, though, is they can have CapEx maybe half of their cash flow, and so they can pay a dividend or buy in stock. EQT and Chesapeake are paying dividends, and Taro is buying in their stock. Now, these were much more attractive companies. Uh, look at the range. Uh, 49 was a high for Antero, 52 was a high for EQT, 107 was high for Chesapeake. So they're down a lot from their ranges. I think that's a function of the commodity. If gas got better, in other words, if production wasn't increasing, and Antero and EQT are, are, are all Marcellus. Marcellus is our largest gas field. Out of that 100 Bs, it's 35 Bs, so it's like over a third of our production in this country. But Marcellus is not growing. It's not growing partially, I guess, because 
it's mature and that, you know, the remaining inventory isn't as good as the inventory that's been drilled up over the last 10 years. The other reason it's not growing, in the Biden administration, it's very hard to get any pipelines permitted. So it's kind of pipeline constrained. Chesapeake's a little different in that about half of their production is from the Haynesville in Louisiana and East Texas. I guess I think that nine or 10 times is okay. Uh, you have a heck of a risk here if the current trend doesn't continue, another production holding flat and increased power demand and, and in time increased LNG. But, you know, it is, it is investable. When you look at page 11, which is the oil companies, EOG is in several basins, Permian Resources, just Delaware, Diamondback is mostly Midland Basin. Magnolia, which looks cheap at six times, is in South Texas in the chalk. And I, I think the reason it's trading at that discount is that people don't really trust the chalk as much as they trust the Permian. And I don't know whether that's fair or not. It is a discount. You could say it's a discount because of size. But if you look at free cash flow, you know, it's about the same size as, as, as Permian resources. So it, it is a discount. Does that make it a good investment? Uh, you know, I'm pretty familiar with, with where they operate because we have some assets there and some production. So I know the company pretty well. You know, my own belief is the most successful upstream company is EOG. Do you want to pay 11 times for it rather than 10 times for Diamondback? Maybe just because they're so darn good at it. But they all have gas, but they're very heavily oil weighted. You believe that the crown prince, pretty much in control of Saudi policy, will just keep cutting production when you know Chinese demand doesn't snap back and the rest of the world is facing a recession. You know, if you don't own these things and you want to own an oil stock, probably not a bad time to look. If we continue with the rest of it pretty quickly, because I want to get back to uh, AI and chips, uh, the midstream companies which are oftentimes considered to be a place to hide, they are trading at a premium to the upstream companies. I'm not sure that upstream, you know, at, at 12 or 15 times, I'm not sure that's warranted. They all have a lot more debt, you know, between, I'm not saying, I mean, enterprise is the best of the bunch, but I'm not saying, you know, ignore enterprise and buy a EOG, but, you know, EOG has no debt, you know, I, I, I like no debt better. Here's an interesting one on page nine, added Oxy. Berkshire continues to buy Oxy shares. And the question is, are they getting a deal? We talked about the 10 times multiple for the gas companies and roughly the same for uh, EOG and Diamondback and Permian Resources. Here, these companies are trading at a discount. Now, does Exxon have inferior properties to EOG? No. Across the board, Exxon has pretty good properties. Is, is Chevron inferior? No. Do you get a lot of international in Exxon and Chevron? You get some, but they've been hiving it back. And Exxon and Chevron are the two largest acreage owners in the Permian Basin. Exxon and Chevron have refining and marketing. Is refining and marketing bad business? No, it's actually been a pretty good cash flow business. Conoco long since split off its refining as Phillips, and Oxy was never in the refining business. 
it's interesting that Conoco trades at about the same free cash multiple as Exxon and Chevron. In terms of looking at how Berkshire looks at the world, it looks like they're getting a two-point discount when they buy Oxy as compared to Conoco. Is Oxy inferior? Well, Oxy has debt and Conoco doesn't have as much debt, but I think, you know, I think the Berkshire decision to continue to buy Oxy shares, remember at the annual meeting, Buffett said they're not going to acquire 100% of Oxy. I think in the last reporting period, Berkshire sold a fair amount of Chevron, which was one of their large holdings. But it does look like, you know, by their by their measures and frankly, by the way uh, we would look at it, Oxy is at a point or two discount in terms of times multiple. We have had a lot of retail earnings. Uh, Walmart has done okay. Target is still struggling a bit. Lowe's and Home Depot, which are more discretionary, more impacted by uh, by home building, have been weaker. But you know, the con- remember the consumer is seventy percent of the economy. The extent the consumer starts to feel exposed or want to you know save money rather than spend money, all these companies get impacted. MasterCard and Visa are two of the great businesses. They, you know, you can talk about all payment systems. You can talk about Apple Pay. I don't know this for sure. Maybe Mike or Jason knows, but I, I think Apple Pay uses Visa. Mike or Jason, do you happen to know whether that's true or not? Yes. In almost all cases, it'll use Visa. It does have its own sort of cash account that will operate similar to the Cash App or Venmo and whatnot, but the vast majority of transactions run over the Visa, MasterCard, American Express rails. Right. These these businesses trade about 30 times free cash. Well, that's about a 3% free cash yield. They grow 13% a year. Are, would you sell them if you owned them? No. Would you buy them at this level? You'd probably wait for a better entry point. Mike, Jason, you disagree with that? I don't disagree. Jason? No, that's completely agree. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Mike and Jason have a, another investment that they've been uh, working on called DISH. I think both Mike and Jason feel like they, you know, like I remember one time uh, Buffett and Munger were explaining uh, why they got interested in, I think it was Allegheny Airlines. And Munger piped up, you know, we should have just gone to the movies. So uh, <laughs> Mike and Jason, do you want <laughs> any commentary on DISH, which is a, potential competitor to these three would, would you opt for movies instead jason or where where are you <laughs> they have a, a ton of debt but the market's pretty much pricing it as they're not going to succeed in in standing up a network a 5g network i'm actually a user of their network i signed up as an early trial user so, so they have people on it it works our bet is they'll get to the point where they could operate a network Pretty soon, they, they have about three weeks to the FCC's deadline, and we think they'll be able to operate that at a, a significantly less cost than the existing operators that have kind of legacy-style networks, whereas Dish built theirs entirely in the hyperscalers cloud. So we actually went to an event and got to see the hardware that they deploy at each cell phone tower antenna, where Verizon and AT&T deploy basically a, a, a shed full of hardware and equipment that needs to go at every site and be maintained. This is equipment in the size of basically a refrigerator. 
so a lot smaller, a lot cheaper, and they offloaded a lot of the, the network into a, a software problem, which is you know something that SaaS companies have been doing for years, and now now we're seeing it happen. The technology moving to network operators. I tell you what, I'm going to do. You know, persistence is a great virtue, and I promise this weekend. It's a long weekend. When we send these 20 pages around next week, there'll be a dish column beside T-Mobile. How about that? <laughs> it's going to be an ugly column. Right. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> Charter and Comcast are kind of threatened by T-Mobile. Let me, let me try to explain it layman terms. Rather than use cable, you can get it over the air through a fixed space and T-Mobile has been the one that's been doing a lot of this and that has caused people to cool their enthusiasm for Charter and Comcast. If I got that right, Mike? You do. Basically, the concept is your cell phone now is capable with 5G, with, is capable of data speeds that are actually faster in a lot of times, a lot of cases, faster than what Comcast and Charter can deliver over cable. So, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One, Comcast and Charter can deliver those bits cheaper, but it's not a pure who's cheaper problem. And that, I think that's what got a lot of people mixed up on it because essentially what happens is cell phone towers are really busy during the day because people are out and about, they're going shopping, they're doing whatever, and then they come home and they switch over to their Wi-Fi networks. So once they switch over to their Wi-Fi networks, the cell towers are relatively unused. So you have this dead time. And back to the analysis of costs, they pay for the money to stand up the tower, and it's just capex and depreciation. If nobody's on it, they're still paying the same amount for it to be there. So they said, okay, we'll just set up these little base stations. They'll mail it to your house. You plug it into the wall. It connects to the cell phone tower just like your cell phone does. But it has a Wi-Fi router built in so that you can access the Wi-Fi network. The advantage of that business model is that they could get really selective as to where that they had extra capacity. They could potentially fill in the capacity. So it almost didn't matter if, you know, in their case, they were charging $50 a month or are currently charging $50 a month. It almost didn't matter that it wasn't, um, you, know, you know, that profitable of a customer because it was all sort of incremental. Now, an individual tower needs to be managed from a profitability perspective. And I'm, I'm relatively familiar with this business because I worked for a company that did the same thing essentially with satellites, but you have these patterns of usage throughout the day. And if you can optimize where usage goes at different times and you can have a more profitable, in our case, it was satellite, but in this case, cell phone tower. So I think T-Mobile is getting a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to that. I think, also that DISH is going to have an interesting play on this as well because DISH network is a little bit different in that they're, like Jason was explaining earlier, their 5G network is more marginal cost based so they can flex it up and down and it's not so much CapEx that drives their cost but OpEx. And that's just going to throw a big wrench into the whole cell phone carrier business because what's going to happen is Potentially, networks like Verizon and AT&T and even MVNO operators like Comcast and Charter are going to utilize the DISH network, probably. And 
So Dish will always be competitive at a certain price point for moving a bit of data. And I think these networks will ultimately be choosing the most profitable path to send their data. So I apologize if that was too in the weeds, but the long story short is, yes, it's now a competitor. Well, that's what, another reason I got to do the Dish column, I think. We've got only a few more minutes left. I promise to cover all 20 pages. On page four, I think we'll defer the next time, but Jason has a view that Meta is, despite the snapback from you know under $100, is still got some real potential as AI rolls out. And just in a couple of minutes or less, Jason, do you want to go through that thesis? Yeah, the, the high level is, is they still command the largest messaging network in the world between Instagram, Facebook, and mostly WhatsApp. Largely international, WhatsApp is how they send messages. So as they work their AI analysis into the text going over that and then, and then add language models to that, they'll be able to target ads just as effectively as they did previously and then maybe even command more market share of, of messaging specifically. And then to add to that, there's, there's rumors they're going to start a, a Twitter competitor, which would, that's a new wrinkle. But the high-level thesis is that they, they own messaging to a, a much larger extent than most people realize. And, and they're at the forefront of, of this AI text revolution. The video just keeps going up. I think at 150 times free cash flow, NVIDIA's position with GPUs and the importance of GPUs as compared to CPUs, I think any investor holding NVIDIA probably just has to not lighten up too much. Or Jason or Mike, Mike, I guess it's your turn. Is that, is that too hands-off a way to think about NVIDIA? Well, it, it's pretty much the way we think about it. Every time that we've ever sold part of our NVIDIA stake, we've regretted it. So, <laughs> Let me give you a layman's, then you can either uh, give me kudos for coming up with the right layman's description. The difference between a GPU and a CPU is a GPU can just do 10 times as much in, a, in an instant, in a minute or a second or whatnot. And that is why people who are interested in AI, since you have to use a great deal more time and move a lot more information or process a lot more, to do it with CPUs would be just too expensive. And even though the GPUs are, are going to cost, I don't know, 10 times more than a CPU, you're, you're, you're going to opt to have a bunch of GPUs. Now, but where... I, now I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. That's that's probably too much of a layman's explanation. But before we ring off for now, three minutes past, why don't you straighten everyone out on GPUs versus CPUs? Sure. It, it's along those lines. It's more than 10 times better at certain problems. A GPU is great at massively paralyzing, essentially, math equations. If you think about matrix math and, and originally they were designed to draw polygons on a screen, and later, AI is a very similar problem, whereas CPUs are a couple threads linearly, and they're much faster at that, the traditional computing. So optimize for separate problems. Got it. So we'll do a little energy next week, but we're going to quickly turn to the dish column. 
and then then we'll move from the dish column forward because I think in the first six or seven pages we've covered them too once over lightly today. So that'll that'll be the program for uh, for next week. Meantime, everyone stay well and stay healthy. We'll be on next Wednesday. Take care. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. Thank mm-hmm. you.